We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> you talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Podcast. It is Thursday, June 18th. Nick Whalen joined, as always, by Alex Barutha. Alex, we're doing back-to-back pods for the first time in a while. We we went back and did a 2006 Spurs Mavs rewatch yesterday. Uh, that's up on the site. That's up in the feed. Make sure you listen to that. Uh, but we wanted to come back today and kind of do a full dive into everything we know about the NBA's proposed return to Orlando, which despite, you know, a spike in coronavirus cases around the country and especially in the Orlando area, despite the police brutality, Black Lives Matter movement, you know, continuing to to hold steady throughout the country. It, it seems like all indications, you know, even with some players openly resisting, the NBA is going to go forth with this plan until further notice. And we still have, you know, about six weeks until everything really kicks in in terms of games actually being played. But the league uh, earlier this week released uh, its full plan. I think it was a 123-page info packet that was distributed to teams. And the gist of it is a, a six-phase approach to a return to play uh, with games eventually starting. Uh, I think the new target date is now July 30th as a train goes directly past my apartment <laughs> background. Uh, but phase one has already started. So phase one began on June 12th. It spanned from the 12th through the 22nd. And this is basically just teams uh, recalling players who might be outside of market, which applies to a ton of players, uh, players who might be overseas, who went back in March and have just been there uh, kind of riding this thing out since. So essentially, all those players need to come back. They all need to quarantine. They all need to get tested. 
uh, before moving into phase two, which is teams basically being able to have players at the facility, being able to do uh, a little bit more in terms of expanded workouts, still can't have, you know, full practices with everybody there. Um, but, you know, kind of a return to normalcy. So I, I know you've you've read through everything uh, as much as I have. You know, we everyone was following the the shams and the woes tweets earlier this week. Uh, do you have any any takeaways, any major question marks, anything that that jumped out initially to you? I mean, it seems like they're I, I mean, they're doing about as much as I think you can realistically do um, while still having 22 teams show up while still having tons of staff show up, not only team staff. Um, well, so like Disney world staff, um, right. to cook and do meals and everything like that. I mean, I'm, you know, the fact that they've laid this all out is really nice so that we can kind of see what's going on. So that basically just so that everyone can see what's going on as far as like fans, players, coaches, just the amount of transparency is really nice. Um, like you mentioned, there are still some, some players who are probably going to push back on the idea as a whole. Uh, for multiple reasons. And there are going to be players who um, probably don't think this is necessarily enough um, for, like, coronavirus. Mm-hmm. But as I think as we discussed on another pod, you might be safer in this bubble than you are in the rest of the country, depending on, you know, like if you were to go out and walk around and try to get food and stuff like that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I'm just – I'm excited that, that the league is coming back and they have this this whole plan, so – um, it's just a matter of seeing who, <laughs> who's down to play. Right. And I, I think there's going to be a lot of pressure, especially on, on contending teams. And, you know, we can argue about how many teams actually fit that description, but, you know, I, I think two of the guys who've been mentioned most, and this relates more to black lives matter movement than it does coronavirus. I, I think in terms of players sitting out, at least from what we've heard right now, it's more about social justice and social change than it is about concerns over coronavirus, right? I mean, I, I think that's kind of been the the storyline that that cropped up over the weekend with with Kyrie Irving. And, you know, since then, Dwight Howard and Avery Bradley from the Lakers uh, coming to to support Kyrie and, you know, maybe not in the belief that they need to start a new league, but in the belief that, you know, there is a possibility that that playing basketball could distract from the movement. And, you know, LeBron has been pretty open about the opposite stance that, you know, playing basketball and, using that stage uh, to the player's advantage, you know, could, could ultimately be the best way to draw attention. But it's, it's going to be really interesting. You know, I, I don't know the exact date when guys like Howard and Bradley are going to need to make an official decision. I would think that's coming up soon. But I, I, there's a lot more pressure, I think, to play if you're starting shooting guard Avery Bradley for the 49 and 14 Lakers than there is Kyrie Irving, who's injured for the 30-win Nets. Right. I think... I think a lot of teams have their deadline next week, if I read that correctly somewhere. Um, but yeah, I mean it's, I mean it's a tough call, and I think yeah, I mean the NBA did the right thing um, in making sure that for whatever reason, if a, a player chooses not to play, that their salary, uh, well, I mean, well, I, I guess their salary is affected, but they're not punished beyond that. Right. They basically just don't get paid for any game that they miss, but they're not going to get suspended. They're not going to miss out on, you know, and they're not going to like they're basically not going to get like paid docked per se. They're just not going right. to earn what they would have earned had they played in that game. Right. And I know some players are still concerned about, um, you know, even returning in general, because I think player insurance policies end on June 30th. 
So I don't know if that gets renegotiated or something like that. I know there was a concern of like Jason Tatum, for example. Um, yeah, I think we heard that with Donovan Mitchell, Adebayo, Fox, essentially all the guys who are going to get paid from that draft class. I yes. think their concern is if we come back and I tear my ACL or I rupture my Achilles because we haven't played basketball in four months, am I insured you know, for, for my potential earnings? Yeah, and um, I don't know. I mean, they're giving them a, a lot of ramp-up time. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the team practice facility start stuff starts like June 23rd. And they're not going to play games until a little over a month later. And aren't I mean, most training camps are most training camps and preseasons. That's basically a month, month and a half. Right. Yeah, it does. It kind of varies by team. Um, And they will get a long ramp up, like you said. And they're I think something that kind of flew under the radar with this plan is prior to the eight. They're calling them seeding games or the conclusion to the regular season, whatever you want to call it there's going to be three scrimmages against other NBA teams before that. So, you know, for teams that really have their eye on the playoffs, you know, those top six or seven in each conference, you're basically getting 11 warm-up games before things really start to count. And if you look, if you compare it to the preseason, you know, most star players are not playing in, like most teams don't even have 11 preseason games. I don't know if any team does at this point. Most have like six, seven, eight. And, you know, how many of those is LeBron playing in? Like three or four, you know? So I think there is a case to be made that by the time, the season restarts, you know, it won't feel normal, but I, I don't think, I don't think players will be put in this extreme risk position, you know, when you start to, when you start to think about injuries. Yeah. I think the, I think the concern there is more about the insurance stuff, yeah. um, which is understandable. I will say, I mean, I've been very, very pro the NBA should return um, almost blindly. So just because I, re- I really want to watch basketball and I really want a conclusion to this, you know, what's been what was a really awesome and and storyline filled NBA season before the shutdown. But and I, I still do feel that way. But I will say, like, after reading through this, I mean, it's going to be really exhausting for those yeah. eight teams that make the second round and the four teams that make the conference finals and then the two teams that make the finals. I mean, this is this is going to be a long, drawn out process. And, and to actually like read the stipulations and, and realize like how restrictive this is going to be. Uh, I, I think it, it'll probably be, you know, interesting, or maybe I would go as far as to say maybe even fun for like a week, but you know, like the NBA, I, I think kind of like the way that they phrase some of these things, it's almost like they're throwing the players a bone. Like, oh yeah, we'll have ping pong, we'll have card games, video games, DJ sets. Like how long can that really go on? Like, I mean, if, if you're the Lakers and you're there for like 55 days, are, are you going to be like, how, how many games of like testicle toss is is LeBron going to be playing how many games of cornhole like it just seems like by the end of this it's going to be a almost an exercise in like self-will and just like not not letting the boredom get to you more than anything right yeah especially like you mentioned if you're one of those teams that goes pretty far like most of us have been doing some form of you know self-isolation slash quarantine for what I guess three months now two three months now um so you know, it's it, I, it, lo- it seems like it will be better than like a, a pure self-isolation thing. But at the same time, like another three months of that sort of a thing being trapped, quote unquote, trapped uh, somewhere that you didn't necessarily want to be or away from your family. I think that's a you know, I know you are allowed to bring, I believe, a certain amount of family. But a lot of these guys and, you know, a lot of us in general have been spending a ton of time with our family. 
um, at this point. And so being away from them during all of this for an extended period of time, you know, I think is is ultimately what's going to, um, I think, weigh on the players the most. Right, exactly. I, I mean, like you said, the, the isolation that most people have been doing for the last few months has been with your family. You know, if you're an NBA player and you have a wife and three kids and maybe your grandparents live with you or aunts and uncles or cousins or whoever, whoever it might be, you're isolating with those people. So even though, it, you know, it sucks not being able to go places or meet up with people on the outside, you at least have your family with you. And I think that's what's really tough, you know, for like, especially the older players. You know, if you're if you're Alex Caruso or Kyle Kuzma, probably not as big of a deal as it is for someone to leave their, you know, their wife and kids at home uh, for that long. So I, I think that is the main concern. I, I know at some point, I think, I think they are going to try to let families in that, that part has not really been super clear. You know, there, I, there was some talk in this memo that teams will get a certain number of rooms for guests, but you know, it, it would be very limited as far as how many people each player could bring. I, I think the, the hope is that eventually, you know, once we'd get to like round one of the playoffs or even later, you know, maybe they open it up to to families. But I think one of the bigger concerns is just the general direction that coronavirus cases are are trending in right now, especially in that area. I mean, I think there were 250 confirmed cases like at the Orlando airport alone uh, in the past week. So I, I guess like in terms of like the outside, like I, I wouldn't worry about if I'm a player, I'm not necessarily worried about me getting sick, but if things continue to trend in the wrong direction on the outside, I think that maybe makes it harder for the league to justify easing the restrictions at any point. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And uh, I mean, that's probably, I, I don't want to say that's probably the, the way things are going to go, but um, like you mentioned, we, we have seen a spike in certain places with, uh, you know, loosened new restrictions. So it's it's really unclear what they'll be able to do. I think they're going to – my guess would be they would stick to this script as much as possible, like as, as tight as possible, just so that they're kind of their own thing outside of um, – so that they're on, you know, their own bubble outside of, like, what the government wants to do and what individual mm-hmm. communities want to do. Yeah, I, th- I think if if they get to the point that everything starts up, you know, we, we get to the end of July and games are starting, I, I almost think they'll be in the clear. Um, I do I do wonder, though, if, like I said, if things continue to kind of be a little bit iffy and, you know, let's say there's like a major, major spike in, in cases in like, like four weeks from now, I think that there's a, a pretty decent chance that they would start to face some public pressure about this, you know? Um, you know, if, if things were to get to the point where there would be kind of another soft lockdown where you know you know major cities in the in the u.s are are kind of going back to a quarantine type of thing i think it'd be pretty tough for the nba to to justify going against that but at the same time there is so much money involved in this both from the league for the players for the owners for you know the television partners like every all the all the major players involved really want this to happen they're they're majorly motivated from a money perspective to make sure that this gets done yeah, and I think I think that's you know that's probably the I mean that's going to be the ultimate driver for the league, obviously. And um, I, I mean everyone everyone who is employed in some form by the league would be affected by the season being canceled in a big right. way, and that goes that trickles all the way down to you know arena workers essentially and salespeople and stuff like that. So yeah, I mean we all want this to happen, um, but like you mentioned, if if things 
if, if there is a true if there is a true second wave, it's going to put a, like a ton of pressure on the league. Not that there already isn't a ton of pressure mm-hmm. on the league. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's well said. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When you're looking for a credit card, get one that wins awards. The U.S. Bank Visa Platinum Card is NerdWallet's 2021 Best of Awards winner for Best 0% Intro APR and Balance Transfer Credit Card. It provides a great way to pay for large purchases over time, as well as consolidating other card balances. And speaking of award winners, the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card is NerdWallet's 2021 Best Credit Card for Dining Out or Ordering In. Earn four times points on takeout, food delivery, and dining. Get two times points at gas stations, grocery stores, and on streaming. If you're into cashback or travel rewards, U.S. Bank has credit cards that feature those benefits, too. Check out their full suite of credit cards at usbank.com slash credit card. The creditor and issuer of these cards is U.S. Bank National Association, pursuant to a license from Visa USA Inc., and the cards are available to United States residents only. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Uh, one point that I think a lot of people were wondering how the league would handle is, uh, you know, how players, if and when a player is going to need to leave the bubble, whether it's for a family emergency or, you know, a, a, a funeral, a wedding. Those were some of the things that were mentioned as, as potential reasons a player would be excused. Uh, you know, they'll have to go through a quarantine period, 10 to 14 days when they get back. They'll have to pass two positive or uh, two negative, I guess, coronavirus tests to return to play. Um, so I, I, like, I, I think I've said this on a previous pod, but I think this is going to happen at some point. You know, like the, the chances that among 22 teams even if some of them are only there for a couple of weeks, that no one has to leave for any sort of emergency is pretty low. So I think it's going to be interesting how the league handles that, uh, how, if it'll be handled differently, you know, if Alex Caruso has to leave versus LeBron James. Um, obviously, you know, one of the the things that went viral uh, on social media this week was the, <laughs> the tip line, apparently, that the NBA <laughs> will be setting up to, uh, to allow players to self-report other players. I guess for for breaking protocol, I'm just wondering like how how extensive is this number going to be available? Like can can Kevin Durant like call in remotely and like you know, <laughs> or like how are they going to investigate this stuff? Like can can like an anonymous? It's allegedly anonymous. Can anybody just go in and say, hey, I saw LeBron walking around without a mask? Do you have to submit proof? Does the league then launch an investigation? Like that that does seem to me like a bit of a slippery slope. Yeah, I'm I'm imagining like you know. Uh, just I don't even know who for like I'm imagining like Kawhi Leonard like hiding in the bushes somewhere with his cell phone camera and just like filming LeBron walking around without a mask and then just like sending that video to Adam Silver directly. <laughs> I don't know and if Kawhi has a camera phone. That's a, <laughs> that might that's be a good point. I, see, I didn't think that through. I didn't think that through uh, well enough. But yeah, I mean they the NBA has made it pretty like clear that they don't want to or that they won't like monitor players like big brother style. I mean, I know they're all going to have like wristbands and stuff that let them go to places, but they're not going to, it doesn't sound like they're going to have like cameras fixed on them the entire time. Um, like some Truman show type thing. So like, yeah, I don't know exactly how you verify uh, stuff like that. I don't, I, maybe it's just like a, you know, it's like a warning, like, Hey, I saw this guy do something, you know, like when, when they come up to the, when players come up to the ref and it's like, Hey, this guy's elbowing me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you should watch out for that next time. Uh, it's like, I, you know, I saw LeBron do whatever. Um, so I don't, that was weird though. Everyone, everyone in the comments of that post was, uh, already saying that Chris Paul will be the number one user of that hotline. Yeah. That was some major low hanging fruit as far as Twitter yes. jokes go. Um, 
Okay, I think that mostly covers it. Uh, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, there's a good chance you've probably read through the the extensive uh, reporting that that Shams has done on this. And uh, I think the the best like full breakdown I could find was on the Athletics. So I would I would push you in that direction if you want to dive in more. I, I do want to revisit um, some of the the title odds, and we, we can get into maybe a few of the player awards futures, but we've discussed those you know many times in the past, and, and a lot of those haven't really changed all that much. But we do have updated title odds via FanDuel, and it seems like every time we get new odds, they're just kind of you know barely tweaked in in one direction or the other. Uh, but right now, Milwaukee remains a slight favorite, plus 240. The Lakers plus 260. The Clippers plus 340. So the Clippers fall back a little bit. Uh, Milwaukee gains a little bit on the Lakers. I, I believe they were tied in the odds at, at some books a couple months ago. Um, and then interestingly, you know, like we talked about on the pod a couple weeks ago, there's a pretty big gap between Houston with the fourth best odds at plus 1300. And then you get to Boston at 20 to one, Toronto, 24 to one, Denver, 25, Miami, 27, Philly, 27, Utah, 29. Uh, it's, it's just really interesting to me that Houston is kind of on this tier of its own. Yeah, I think I think a lot of this stems from the I, I we've seen Harden and Westbrook both struggle in the playoffs often. And I think people um I don't think people are ready to assume that just putting them together means that you know things are going to be fixed and I think people aren't convinced on the team style uh necessarily. Uh, with the extreme small ball and like playing like Jeff Green, PJ Tucker, and Robert Covington at center, um, I think the gap is appropriate. But um, it's you know I, I, I we've mentioned on the pot before that I don't think we should be surprised if you know Houston ends up in the Western Conference Finals, kind of based based on their style and based on the high variance that they um, that they I guess thrive off of. Yeah, I mean, we we don't have to go through that again. I mean, I, I think anybody that's watched them, you know, at any point this season and even before Westbrook, like it, this all kind of applied. You know, when you when you rely so heavily on driving kick and ISO and and threes, we've seen them beat teams that they probably shouldn't beat, and we've certainly seen them lose lose to teams and lose series that they probably shouldn't have lost. And I I think you know just the the fact that everything is so much different this year, I think, adds a whole nother level of variance where. You know, if, if the Lakers are missing one or two guys that are sitting out, if, you know, Patrick Beverly, Lou Williams have kind of been in the same boat for the Clippers, like maybe that uh, there's a chance that would open things up a little bit. Do you see either the Lakers or the Clippers as being more vulnerable in a series against Houston? Like which of those teams do you think they'd be more likely to upset if they were to meet them in round two? Um, that's really tough, actually, because the because like the size of the Lakers should give them a tongue of problems. Like Anthony Davis mm-hmm. should annihilate the Rockets to the point where it's like embarrassing for, for everyone think, involved yeah. in Houston. Uh, but on the other hand, like, you know, the, the Clippers have uh, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, who they could theoretically just have bother Russell Westbrook and James Harden mm-hmm. uh, for the whole game. So I'm not really sure actually. Um I don't know. Do you? I mean, do you have? Uh, do you think one of those teams has has a better chance of losing to Houston? Uh not not really. It's, I I wouldn't be able to speak super confidently about it. I, 
Yeah, I, I've I've maintained all along that in a normal year I would I would pick the Clippers over the Lakers, and you know I guess with all things being equal, uh, assuming both teams are bringing their full rosters to Orlando, I I guess I'll stick with that. You know, even though th- those teams were kind of trending in opposite directions when we last saw them in March, uh, you know I think I think the Lakers had kind of pulled ahead as maybe the the prevailing favorite in the conference. I Kawhi Leonard is just really really good. LeBron James, that's the one player that LeBron really just does not like going up against, dating all the way back to like 2012. Um, I, I don't think any player in the league gives him more trouble on either end than Kawhi. And and I think the Clippers are quite a bit deeper, you know, and, and I, I, the way that Anthony Davis was playing, you know, after the All-Star break, uh, you know, kind of emerging as as arguably the Lakers' best player, even as LeBron was was forcing his way into the MVP race. If, if they get Anthony Davis, who is at 100% aggressiveness, you know, every minute that he's on the floor... I think the Lakers win, um, but we we're yet to see Anthony Davis, you know, really, really prove that he can do that throughout the course of an entire playoffs. He's just never been in that position before. Um, so I, I think I would I would give the edge to to the Clippers right now, but I'm still pretty firm that even even though I understand why the Rockets are are placed where they are in these odds, I I think we're still headed towards the Lakers Clippers West Finals uh, pretty easily. Yeah, I would I would agree. So one of the things I, I did a breakdown on these odds earlier this week on the site. You can check that out. Um, but one thing I found interesting, and I would be interested to know if you have some, you know, some light to shed on this that maybe I missed. There's a huge gap between those teams that I mentioned above: the Boston, Toronto, Denver, Miami, Philly, Utah, uh, and then you get a, a little bit of a drop down to Dallas at 36 to one, and then there's a huge drop off to Indiana at 100 to one. And the, the Pacers are the what the five seed. In the East right now, they're ahead of Philly in the standings. They're right in the middle uh, of all those kind of second-tier Eastern Conference teams. And I, I think, if anything, something we've discussed is that Victor Oladipo could come back and be better than he was when he came back from injury, which wasn't very good. Like, the bar is already set pretty low. Why is Indiana so far behind those other middle-of-the-pack Eastern Conference teams? I don't know. I mean, I think, um, like, I think they could give... I think they could give trouble to, I don't know. I mean, I, I think they could give trouble to almost everyone, like Toronto, Boston, Miami. I'm still high on on Philly, so I think Philly would win that series. But um, they should theoretically be competitive, in my opinion, against everybody except maybe Milwaukee or Philly. And I can see them even, um, you know, taking those series to five or six. So, I mean, 100 to one, I mean, I to win the finals... I wouldn't do it if you want to take a long shot. I would. I, I feel like. I mean, you could get them to win the East at thirty to one, basically twenty nine to one specifically, um, which would be better. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, if if Oladipo is back, back, then they'll be really, really competitive. But yeah. I, I personally still have some concerns that he's not going to be uh, back to his usual self. Although, I mean, the extra th- it's. There's, We've had a ton of time off at this point. Right. Yeah, I mean, I don't I'm not saying I would take these odds or I'd, I'd like them. You know, I, I guess if you're if you're asking, would I rather take Indiana at 100 to one or Utah at 29 to one? Like, yeah, I'll go 100 to one. But it just doesn't make sense to me. Like, it, I, I was wondering if maybe there's a belief that like Malcolm Brogdon, who's you know kind of been one of the players at the forefront uh, of, of the social change movements, like maybe he maybe there's a belief that he wouldn't play or uh you know, Devonta Sabonis, I think, went, went overseas. Like, maybe there'd be some complication there. Like, I was really trying to rack my brain as to why 
they'd be that far behind. Like even if even if you think Oladipo is not going to be any better, their record indicates that they should. You know, I'm not saying they're as good as Miami, but they're they're not a difference of what like 73 numbers. You know, from 27 to one to 100 to one. Like that's just way too big of a gap. Yeah, I mean, losing Jeremy Lamb is pretty significant considering I mean, the other options. Like, I mean, their bench is pretty bad. It's not good. Um, no, I mean, it's, you know, like TJ McConnell, Aaron Holiday, Justin Holiday, McDermott, TJ Warren. That's like their bench. So okay, so maybe Vegas just loves Jeremy Lamb. Vegas is all over Jeremy Lamb. Uh, that's, I think, that's that's confirmed. Okay, so... Yeah, conference winners are about what you'd expect. Uh, you know, those kind of follow suit with the the NBA Finals picks. Do you like any of these NBA Finals pick the exact matchup odds? I mean, I like I like uh, 76ers Clippers at 28 to one. I think that I think that's my favorite one on the board. That's like a, you know, like a I guess a I guess that'd be considered a long shot. Um, just because I mean I believe in the Clippers a lot. I believe in the 76ers a lot. And um yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's just like having uh, I and I've discussed this before. Like the 76ers could very easily beat the Bucks in the in the Eastern Conference Finals and that shouldn't shock anybody. And I think the Clippers have a really good opportunity to beat the Lakers. I mean the odds are pretty similar. So um I just think that's like probably the best value bet on the board. Yeah, I, I think I agree with that. Um, you know, it's no surprise, I guess, that the Bucks are one half of the top uh, five of the top six matchups with the best odds. Um, like Bucks Jazz has better chance than Celtics Clippers. I'm, I'm not sure I fully agree with that. Uh, it's just it really this is where you really see how much confidence uh, odds makers have in in Milwaukee. I think more so than the LA teams, just because you know they have to get through each other, but. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I would still, I wouldn't really feel comfortable betting anything but Bucks Lakers, Bucks Clippers, um, you know, even Bucks Rockets at at plus eleven hundred. I don't, I don't really love that. I guess, I guess, I just feel that like 76ers Clippers doesn't the odds, the matchups that are around it in terms of like similar odds. I feel like it's it's out of place. So yeah. you have 76ers Clippers at twenty eight to one. Also twenty eight to one is Heat Clippers. Uh, twenty-six to one is Raptors Clippers. Twenty-six to one is Bucks Mavericks. Um, right. like Heat Lakers is twenty-five to one. So there's I just, a, I guess, there's a weird guess, amount of confidence in Houston. Weird amount of confidence in Houston. Weird amount of confidence in Miami. Um, and so like I just feel like the Seventy Sixers Clippers at twenty-eight to one. That doesn't. I feel like it just does not fit with the the odds around it. Um, right. I to me and obviously. The odds makers don't feel this way, but to me, the, the odds of the Sixers beating the Bucks and then playing the Clippers in the finals are about the same as the Rockets upsetting both the Lakers and the Clippers to get to the Bucks in the finals. And yet there's a huge difference in those numbers. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, I, I don't really understand where that's coming from. So, I mean, that's I mean, if you're I, I think that's my favorite long shot bet on like the whole board and one that I would actually make myself because I. I just don't think anything else is. I mean, if you want to go crazy, like Celtics Jazz, like a hundred to one, but I'm pretty low on the Jazz yeah. after like they're missing Bogdanovich. Um, but like a Raptors Nuggets even at like ninety to one, 
that's not even horrible, but yeah. I mean, you can go really crazy, and I only put the top like 20 or so, I think, in the in the article. But I mean, you can get you can get Magic Clippers at plus 25,000. You can get Bucks, <laughs> Bucks Spurs at plus 25,000. Unfortunately, they cut it off. Like once you get beyond, uh, like I think like the most obscure matchup you could get is like Sixers Mavs or Sixers Jazz. Those are at like 1100 or 11,000 and 12,000. But once you get beyond that. Um, they only include one of Milwaukee, the Lakers, or the Clippers. So you, you can't bet on like Jazz Nets or anything like that. That's unfortunate. Yeah, actually, like feel I'll feel a little bit robbed to tell you the truth. Yeah. Um, FanDuel also does odds to qualify for the playoffs, which are actually pretty interesting. Um, and these are you know basically only the seven seed and below in each conference. So. In the East, it's it's kind of a three-team race, Brooklyn, Orlando, and Washington. In the West, we have six teams vying for that final spot. I know you and I are, are a little bit intrigued by these odds for the Trailblazers. The, I mean, that, the healthy version of the Trailblazers, which is what they should have, because Yusuf Nurkic was about ready to come back. Zach Collins should be healthy also. Um, I've liked what Trevor Ariza has given them. So, like, I think the healthy... Trailblazers are better, definitely better than Memphis. And I think very comparable to the Pelicans and definitely better than like Sacramento or, or San Antonio. Um, so getting them at, what is this, plus 420, um, I think is a, is a strong bet, honestly. Yeah, I said to you off air, you know, if, if Portland comes back healthy, which all indications are they will, we'll see how Nurkic and Collins look. But I think if, if they are healthy and even if they're playing at like 80 percent of, of their full potential, that Portland team versus this Memphis team is like 50 50 to me. If you're if you're playing a, you know, a two or a three game series, which is what this might come down to. So I think being able to get Portland at, at plus money, uh, even if they end up having to beat Memphis twice you know two times in a row like i don't think that's that crazy on a neutral site right i mean memphis at minus 160 makes sense they're they're heavily the incumbent to at least get to a point where they'd be in the the playoff scenario uh whereas portland you know kind of has to duke it out with new orleans they have to duke it out with sacramento uh I, i think we can pretty much cross off san antonio and phoenix um you know apologies to those teams but the not a lot going on there is there any any part of you that would be willing to look into sacramento at plus 850 uh, I mean, they've, there's such like, I, I feel like there's weeks where Sacramento looks like the worst team in the league. And then there's teams where they look like that, like potential six seed we thought they could be. And I just like, I don't know where go, what we're going to get. It seems like Marvin Bagley should be available. And if he's, if Marvin Bagley's fully healthy, that gives them some, you know, that gives them at least some more depth at, uh, in the front court. I don't know. Like, I really like Darren Fox. I think I, I really like Buggy Heald. Like, I really like this team, but I would not pick them to, uh, like, jump over Portland mm-hmm. or, or you know, Memphis or New Orleans, really. The Kings never won more than three games in a row at any point this season. And to get to where they need to be, like, they, they would really need to reel off, probably, you know, go like six and two in those final eight games. I, I don't know that they have that in them. Um, I mean, how do you rank? Assume, let's, let's say you'll just put Memphis in at the at the eight. 
how do you rank New Orleans, Portland, Sacramento, or, or any other West teams in terms of their chances to, to finish ninth and or beat Memphis and, and grab that eight seed? Uh, that's really tough. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I, I, if I think Portland is better than New Orleans or not. Um, I mean, Lillard is the best player out of those teams, mm-hmm. but I think Portland's or, or New Orleans depth is pretty strong compared to Portland. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I, I guess I'll just go Portland. I think the order that it's in now is fine. Portland, New Orleans, yeah. Sacramento, San Antonio. Well, New Orleans is ahead of Portland, right? In terms of the odds, or are you talking? Oh, record? sorry. No, I'm, I'm looking at, sorry, I'm looking at record. Okay. Yeah, I think I think New Orleans versus Portland is going to be really difficult. Um, yeah. I, I think I would side with Portland. I've been, you know, I've said before, I, I think New Orleans is a little bit overrated and is probably a year away from, you know, being a team that you kind of have to worry about maybe in the bottom half of the West. Um, there's also odds. These are new. These were not out when I wrote the article, but uh, FanDuel is also offering odds on the the team to finish eighth in the Eastern Conference playoffs. So that would mean, uh, you know, assuming that it were to, you know, either, either this team would be up by more than four games at the end of the eight game regular season, or they would win the the two team tournament to get the eight. In the East, Orlando minus 125, Brooklyn plus 105, Washington plus 1400. That one's interesting because Brooklyn is currently the seventh, so that's a little bit misleading. Like I guess they're they're plus 105 to finish eighth, which means that I guess in theory they're like favored to finish seventh, um, but not give they're not really giving much of a chance to Washington uh, at 14 to one to to grab that eight, which all things considered I think is probably correct, even though I have very little faith in Orlando. Yeah, Washington is pretty bad. <laughs> mm-hmm. The Suns are 55 to one to get the eight. That's a little disrespectful. It is a little disrespectful. They are pretty far behind, though. Uh, wouldn't they have to win like basically seven of the eight games, probably? Hey, DeAndre Ayton. Well, yeah, they, I mean, they're only they're okay, missing so they're, right now. Yeah, that is true. That's a that's a pretty crushing blow. Uh, I just, I guess, I don't think they should be that far behind San Antonio. I don't think either of these teams are doing anything, but San Antonio seventeen to one without Lamarcus Aldridge, Phoenix fifty-five to one. Smells a little. I would no. I would say I would say I would pick Phoenix Mm -hmm. over San Antonio in that case. Okay, we'll finish out with this. Uh, I need your final picks now for Defensive Player of the Year and Most Improved Player. I think the rest of them are are pretty much settled. Uh, defensive player of the year. I'm gonna stick with Anthony Davis. Okay. Uh, I've been kind of, yeah, sticking with that all year. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna waver now. Most improved. Um, I'll read you the odds quick for most improved. And for defensive player, it's Giannis at minus 140, Davis at plus 105, and then there's a pretty big drop off to Gobert, Simmons, Lopez, etc. For most improved, Bam Adebayo minus 140, Brandon Ingram plus 260. Luka Doncic, 550, Tatum, 1,000, Devontae Graham, plus 1,100, SGA, plus 2,700, Trey Young, plus 2,700. Uh, and then there's a group of seven players who are all at plus 10,000. 
Bertans, Sabonis, Van Vliet, Jalen Brown, Lonzo Ball, Fultz, and Siakam. I'm going with Brandon Ingram. Uh, I bet we we discussed this on another pod where I think the the leap that he took is more difficult and uh, I guess more impactful maybe than the leap that Bam Adebayo took. Um, and it was not just I think Bam's a lot of Bam's improvement I think is also kind of in his minutes per game where I don't think that's as much the case as Brandon Ingram. I think Brandon Ingram just improved a lot more on like a per possession basis, but like. Um, yeah, I think I, I'm just picking Ingram. Okay. I think this is one that assuming the voting takes place at the end of the eight game regular season, I think that could actually help Brandon Ingram. If, if he plays well, if he kind of picks up where he left off averages 25 and eight with four assists and, and the Pelicans end up getting the eight seed, I think that maybe clinches it for him. But the odds would imply that if the vote took place right now, Adebayo would be the slight favorite. I I'm with you. I, I think you can't go wrong with any of these guys. And I wrote in the article, like even, even half of those guys who are at plus 10,000, like in a, in a lot of years, Sabonis or Van Vliet or even Fultz, you know, kind of based on, on the dramatic improvement, even though he's still not that good based on where he was, there are some years in the past where he would have won this award and he has no shot. You know, when you have two of the guys at the top out of bio and Ingram are two of the strongest, most improved player candidates, you know, in recent history. Yeah, and even Doncic. I mean, Devontae yeah. Graham also has a case. Right. Um, yeah, Tatum. Yeah, dude, a, I mean, really, yeah. Anybody on this list could win it in in a typical year. Right. All right. We'll keep this one a little bit shorter, wrap things up. Hopefully this gives you uh, an overview of what's on the horizon from a betting perspective. Uh, we, we've we been looking into the NFBKC, uh, which is a, a gracious partner of Rotowire, uh, is launching a playoff contest. Uh, that that won't you know actually be live and the draft won't take place until the end of July, but you can already sign up for that. So make sure to check that out. Uh, we'll be having some of those guys on the pod to kind of break down the contest and, and give us some more details on how that's all going to work. But Alex, man, the, the countdown continues. It's we're still, you know, five, six weeks away, but it's getting a little bit closer. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.